This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. My name is Robert Morrison, and uh, a, I'm a contributor at NinerNoise.com, and here with me, fellow contributor, uh, Akshaz Devadula. Akshaz, hopefully you're back and rested from the bye week. I don't know if you can tell from my voice, I am not quite there, but, you know, we're working through it. How, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing A-OK. I am... Um... I had a great week of not thinking about football, and now I'm back to getting more and more worried that this week is not going to be fun. But yeah. I'm optimistic for yeah. once. I mean, the only other time I was probably optimistic was following like the Steelers game. I was like, "Yeah, this like this is, <laughs> this is great." But yeah, um, that's true. Um, I don't know. I feel like we were both pretty optimistic heading in, you know, out of that Cowboys game. We were like, "All right, well, no one's." ever we're never losing again um (laughs) but yeah uh that feels like 19 years ago at this point um of course the talking point is is that in spite of the fact that it was the bye week the Niners had a fantastic week on Sunday because the NFC West got destroyed um collectively scored six points I believe (laughs) um three from the Rams three from the Seahawks and a big old goose egg from the Arizona Cardinals who are responding by bringing back Kyler Murray maybe too quickly maybe ruining their draft position we don't know what's going to happen we'll see Um, but that that's a conversation we don't have to worry about for several weeks uh, because we don't have the Cardinals on this on the schedule for a little bit here but um, you know so the Niners just you know casually had the week off and slid right back into first place in the division so it's a good day Um, it's nice when you when you gain something without having to do anything for it. So, and obviously given the way the last three games have gone from the 49ers perspective, I, you know, I, I will take it right. Uh, if the season ended today, which it of course does not, um, the 49ers would be uh, in first place in the division, be hosting, I believe the Dallas Cowboys yet again in the, in the first round of the playoffs. I'm sure Cowboys fans would just love that. Um, but we'll see. There's a lot of football left to be played. Uh, nine games left to go, including this upcoming Sunday against the Jacksonville Jaguars flying out to the East Coast to a town that I've only driven through a couple of times in my life, um, but have never stopped. I did. I did very briefly look to see what the drive would be like. It's not a terrible drive um, from here to get to Jacksonville. Um, but, uh, given the fact that I only have so many opportunities to go see, uh, the 49ers play live in person, I'm not really sure that this is the week that I want to like <laughs> hinge my hopes on, but we'll get more into that later. Um, uh, any sort of general thoughts about how the bye week went? And the, I mean, obviously it, it, it was good for the, from a 49ers perspective, but hopefully that will propel them in the right direction. I mean, I think a pretty great week, all things considered. I don't remember. Were the Lions also on their bye? I, I don't know for sure. Um, 
I will look while you were talking. Go ahead. <laughs> but, you know, like you mentioned, the NFC West had a terrible, terrible week. And, I mean, we mentioned this at the end of our last podcast, last to last podcast, not the one where we were super excited about Chase Young, but the one before that. Right. Kind of reminiscing over the Bengals' loss, how, you know, losing to the Bengals kind of meant that the season takes a different tenor. It's not about, like, it's always about, like, many things, but the primary focus is no longer get the one seed. Now it's win the division. Be, like, get that first home playoff game if you can. So you always want, you know, divisional teams to lose if they can. I mean, like, the slight counterpoint to that is just that the Ravens look really good and yeah. on the 49ers schedule. So, you know, like, before the season, I was like, you know, that's like a that's a pretty close game, but I'd say the Niners are the better team heading into that. Now I'm not so sure. That Baltimore team looks like a Super Bowl contender. And, like, yeah. arguably, I think a lot of power rankings are putting them at number one. But I would argue they might be the team to beat heading out of the AFC. Yeah, it's definitely looking that way. Um, the Lions were on a bye, so they still sit at six and two, just a game up on the Niners from the number two spot. Obviously, I mean, the, as you're kind of alluding to, the difference between the two and the three slot at this point is kind of because they got rid of that second bye is not really that important. Unless, of course, the number one seed stumbles. And then, of course, you'd like to be the number two seed who gets to host the <laughs> the NFC Championship game if you get that far. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you got to get got to win the division first, which seems like priority number one um, with the Seahawks playing pretty well. Other than the fact that, as you mentioned, the the uh, um, the Ravens absolutely obliterated them. Um, yeah, unfortunately, that's Monday Night Football. Akshaz, do you know what day of the year that happens to fall on a Monday Night Football? Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to all of us. Thanks, schedulers. We were we were complaining a little bit before we started recording about how at, at first glance this 49ers schedule did not seem too terrible, but man, the more you start to dig into the details of it, man, it just it feels really really more complicated than it needed to be. I mean, we already had the conversation last time about how two two out of the last three opponents were coming off buys and then they're finally coming off a buy, but the Jags are also coming off a buy. Um, they have a weird thing coming up where they play uh, their second Thursday night game on Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks against the Seahawks in Seattle, who then follow up that game with the following Thursday night. So they get a full regular week um, to lead into the following Thursday night game against the Cowboys and then 10 days rest before they have to travel to San Francisco to play the 49ers again. So another like, OK, there's a little. You know, thanks for that little slap in the face, NFL schedulers. We appreciate you. Um, not not great, but all things that we'll have to be able to discuss in, in time. And and really, at the end of the day, you can't complain about all that stuff. You just got to have to play the games that are on the schedule um, and just hope that there's been enough kind of opportunity to rest in the midst of all this, uh, this bye week and all that kind of stuff. And you just feel rejuvenated and ready to go. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about a couple of uh Things that are that are happening. Obviously, the Jaguars are coming off a bye, but they're also the winners of five in a row um, after a one and two start. Um, it has seen a much improved uh, Trevor Lawrence throughout that that period as the time as those games have gone on. Um, kind of an interesting team, the Jaguars. They sit at six and two, um, but there's there's definitely <laughs> there's definitely some very specific things that they do well and some very specific things that you're like okay that's interesting um and we'll talk about that more in in a little more detail uh, a couple of bits of news that are are coming out of the, the 49ers by obviously we talked about chase young he seems propelled to to be ready to to go out there and 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 be a part of this defense on sunday which will be absolutely fantastic um and we'll talk about other roster related things in a second but before we do that we have to talk about Maybe the most not interesting, but like, oh, that's interesting. More like interesting, like, huh, this is really the thing that we're lingering on here. Um, and that is uh, before the the they went off on the bye week, Kyle Shanahan mentioned something about he was going to talk to Steve Wilkes about possibly moving from the uh, the perch in the coaching booth to coming down on the field where Robert Sala and Tamika Ryans have been coaching uh, or have been coordinating the defense from over the last, uh, you know, seven or eight seasons. And it seems that that conversation has gone, you know, about the way that you would expect it to, right? Like your boss comes into the office and says, hey, uh, Steve, we're going to be, uh, mo- you're going to be moving down to the field level for this game. And you say, 
sir, yes, sir. And you kind of, you know, do what you need to do. I don't know if that's exactly how the conversation went, but Steve Wilkes has said uh, that he has agreed to come down to the field level and will be uh, coaching from there, at least on Sunday. We'll see if, if it makes any difference. Um, I think they both cited things like the ability to communicate with the entire team a little more uh, easily, right? Because he's really only in the ear of Fred Warner and the rest of the coaching staff. And I guess the thought is that if something needs to be said to the entire defense, some way to communicate with the defensive linemen and the linebackers and the defensive backs that he can say that right there when the time comes. I don't know. Um, so what do you think? Is this, does this matter at all? Does it seem like a, a, a grasping at straws situation or is it like, let's try to see if we can change something up. I, I don't know. There's a lot of ways to read it. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, so I read somewhere that the call is filtered through Johnny Holland right now. I'm not 100% sure on this, but that's what I heard is that, like, Wilkes will call it in and Holland will relay it to Warner because he's up in the booth. Right. If that's the case, then I think him just being there and having the direct line is just more efficient. So if that's one of the changes, that's a good thing. But this sure. feels like a, something is wrong, so we're, like, we're going to change something right. to, like, kind of get this going. I mean, I... I don't think simply choosing to like be on the field versus in the booth is going to make you a better defensive coordinator or have a better feel for the game. But I do think, I think Warner, who had a somewhat point, he was like, I guess the only difference is now he'll look you in the eye when he's telling you something. <laughs> so, you know, maybe that helps. Maybe it helps him kind of get the flow of the game a little more. He can kind of like, get a sense of what's going on. I think I saw, I want to say it was Tim Kawakami who said this in one of his athletic mailbags, but a great point of just like the 49ers defense hasn't like flowed very well, which is right. the main issue. It's just, they're like on their heels and they're hesitant as a unit right now. And then the 49ers are a defense that like they win because they get you. And that's been the case. Like even in this three game losing streak, the moments where it's worked, it's been because they get home with their pass rush or they force a fumble. When they're aggressive, they're really good. But when they kind of have to play back and on their heels, they're a defense that's easy to exploit. And I think if Wilkes kind of is able to better feel how his defense is playing when he's on the field, it's a great thing. But this feels like a something is wrong and we're going to change something. So let's do this because we're not going to fire him. We're not going to bench anyone. So right. like, what else can we do? This seems like the only move to make. Yeah. I think I, I generally agree with that. And if it is like a, like a smoothing out the flow thing, if it, if that truly is Wilkes was calling a play, which had to go down to the, to the, to a coach on the sideline, who's then calling it into Warner, well, that's slowing things down. And you can imagine, I think, like we talked about like the zero blitz situation in the in the Vikings game, like and how Shanahan heard it. But by the time he heard it, there wasn't any time for him to do anything about it. Right. Because by the time he's hearing it is probably the same time that that it's coming through the headset from. I, I mean, I don't know what the flow of information is. So if you can take a couple of seconds off of that, that situation where uh, where cause if you think if Shanahan had heard that and gone, oh, wait, hold on a second. Well, no, we're not going to do that. Um, and he's able to kind of. Because if it's going three three moves down <laughs> to get to him and then have to go three moves back to get up to Wilkes and then go back, like you can see how that would be problematic. So maybe it will clean up the the flow of that a little bit. And I, I don't know. Maybe it's just like, as you say, and I think more than likely, it's just a situation where you're going to go, look, we just need to like kick something in the pants right now. And maybe this is just like a stir in the pot and, and see if we can rile things up a little bit. Um, you know, to a man, it doesn't seem like the 49ers players have any issues with Steve Wilkes. They're all taking it and saying, you know, we need to do better. Um, and I think that's true. Um, and I think the thing you're saying about their being aggressive and when they're being aggressive is when they're most, most effective. I mean, if think about like the way they played it, that, that Dallas game, like that is like maybe the pinnacle of, of the way that this defense has played all season. And if they can if they can continue to do that, then they're they're going to be able to hang with just about anybody, um, you know, in the whole league. And so that's what you're searching for again. And it was there. And, and that's I think 
you know, not to to put too fine a point on this because we need to to move through because we got a lot of things to cover <laughs> before we even get into the game itself. Um, that that's been the we've seen it already this season. It's it's there. They seem to kind of figure out where it is again. Um, did you, sorry, did you have any thoughts on that before I move on? No, I mean, I just think you know we're at a we're going to talk about this obviously when we get into the game in particular, but. They're at a little bit of a crossroads right now. And honestly, sometimes things that are like basically symbolic can actually make an impact. And you don't really like lose anything if he's on the field. So I think, you know, there's no reason to not make the move if you feel like you need to make a change. Yeah, 100%. Um, Speaking of moves, uh, the 49ers made um, a couple of roster adjacent moves things that may be in moving in the direction of uh, of the roster in fact by the time you're hearing this they may already be roster moves that we're talking about in the past tense um already uh and that is uh opening up the practice windows for sam womack darnell looter and robert beal um all young players uh in the case of looter and beal rookies um but they have all three of them been full practice participants so far this week um at this point as we record on thursday night um obviously no decision has been made they don't have to make the decision until saturday um as to whether or not they're going to activate those three players um i i i i i think there's definitely a case i'm not sure robert beal fits (laughs) fits into this rotation at this particular point um just because with the addition of chase young with the addition of randy gregory with cleland farrell with drake jackson still on this team unless you're like fully giving up on Drake Jackson this season. I'm not sure Robert Beal has a spot on this this year uh on this year's team. Um so I certainly feel like he's going to be the the one the the odd man out like he's going to be the one that's going to get he'll he'll practice for 3 weeks and then they'll they'll shut him down kind of thing, but um barring health, I think Womack and Luter are going to be probably immediate additions to this team as soon as they can get them in there because they are guys at least Womack for sure we know uh can step in and and provide something this team doesn't have, which is that sort of like stereotypical slot cornerback, some guy they can slide into, into that spot or somebody they can put at the other starting uh, outside corner and move Diamador Lenore inside. But um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what's going to happen, but I think that seems the most likely solution here um, is that the cornerbacks get elevated at some point, maybe this week, maybe next week. Um, but Robert Beal probably not going to see the field this team this year would be my guess. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if he had been healthy throughout the entire training camp process, it could be a different story. But now with Young and Gregory in the fold, it's just hard to see him really getting a chance. So I agree with you there. I think Womack for sure is going to come in and might immediately be like the third, fourth corner you have on your team i think ambry thomas's time is like i don't want to say done but he's like he's kind of playing out the string almost in his 49ers career at this point i think the niners because like if we're being like honest here isaiah oliver has not played very well the last two or three weeks but he's not getting off the field because it's clear that the niners don't trust thomas there anymore Mm -hmm. which means that, you know, you're kind of like taking the lesser of two evils. So I think Womack is going to be huge because we know he can play. I think Luter is the real wild card here because he's, um, he is like the type of athlete with the size and speed that can make a difference. Like the issue of course is young corner don't really know how he's going to play until he gets out there, but he can really like, he can make a big difference to this team if he turns out to be fully healthy, can get track on this defense. I think he could be in the same way that, if you remember Avery Thomas's rookie year, he <laughs> yeah. played particularly well. But he definitely shored up a place that needed shoring up. I think Luter can actually be a huge X factor for this defense. Yeah, for sure. And 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 if I remember correctly, all the buzz coming out of minicamp and everything about him was just like over the moon. Like he's far exceeding any expectations the team had. And then he got hurt and that was sort of the end of it. And he kind of fell off the map. And um, obviously he's been on the radar the whole time. But here we are, what, 10 weeks, nine weeks into week 10 of the season. And he still hasn't played. So it would really just be a, it's it's really a 
it's probably as much in a, a mental battle with him as it is a physical one. You got to think at this point, because he's practicing and he's practicing fully, that he's probably healthy. So it's just a matter of whether or not they, they trust him. Because they may decide that, as all things being equal, that Ambry Thomas is just fine as a special teams player um, at this point. Or they may just say, well, they're, they're six and one half dozen of the other as special teams players. But then you have to really trust that if things went really crazy and Luter had to go out there and play, that you feel comfortable with him doing that. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that comes together. Um, special <laughs> teams is a great point. Yeah. Because Womack, even if he doesn't start, is a much better special teams player than Thomas. Like last year, that's where he really like made his name after he got benched mm-hmm. as nickel corner. He was fantastic at special teams. So well, he's a Womack is a huge addition no matter what. Getting him healthy can like just like allow this defense to and special teams to breathe a little more. Yeah. Um speaking of cornerbacks, uh <laughs> I'm sure you saw this, but uh 49ers uh worked out a bunch of uh cornerbacks and a bunch of offensive linemen this week. Uh offensive linemen they signed one on the practice squad, probably as coverage for um, somebody we're about to talk about in just a minute. Um, but did you see who is amongst the list of cornerbacks? Of course, our old friend, Mr. John St. Johnson. Um, is he still they can't, playing? They can't That's shake amazing. Him. They can't shake well, him. They brought him in for a workout. They didn't sign him, um, but they brought him in for a workout this week. And it's just, it's like, it's like they, it, at this point, you wonder if he's just on the speed dial and they just call him every time. And he's like, you just want to come in for a workout. We can just say hi. We can reconnect, see how you're doing. You know, how's the family? We're probably not going to sign you, but we just wanted to say hi to Dante. See how you're doing. Um, that's hilarious to me. <laughs> like, I mean, Dante Johnson has, through like sheer determination, carved out like a spot in the 49ers canon. Yeah. Which is 100%. insane, right? Like if you I bet you if you look at longest tenured players with the 49ers, he's gonna be up there, which is <laughs> amazing to think about. But he by I mean he's done anything this team has asked. He's been short notice. And you know, I think we get when he so made the fifty same man roster out of training camp last year, didn't he? Yeah, he was like, because I think a corner was hurt or something. And then, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's always been the 53rd, 52nd guy on this roster. But, I mean, he's put, like, his soul into the 49ers. For, 100%. How, how old do you think Dante Johnson is? 36. <laughs> 36? No. He is actually about to turn 32. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm talking about him like he's like the Donald <laughs> Caswell of the Miami his, Heat. His first season was 2014 um, with the 49ers. He was 23 years old, uh, played in 16 games. In fact, had a, had a several full season run with the Niners in 2014, 15, 16, 17. And then he disappeared for a little while, came back for seven games in 19, um, came back in 2020 and 21. He was with the team for the full year. Um, and then just two games last year in 2022. So there I mean, you go. so not to belabor the point, but I used to have a little phrase. I'd call it the Dante Johnson effect, which was <laughs> I don't know if anyone listening remembers or if you remember Rashad Robinson uh-huh. from 2016, and then of course Akello in 2017. But these corners would always look really good, and then the next year they'd look way worse when you get someone else. And I was like. Well, that's because no one's throwing to them because Dante Johnson's on the other side. That's right. So, but I mean, <laughs> honestly, just respect to the guy. I mean, it's yeah. incredible what he, and I mean, he tore an ACL too, and he's still back out. I mean, yep. he's like. that. And and to be fair, that's probably what this workout was about more than anything else, right? Like, just, hey, just checking on you, make sure you're good. Like, they just, under, they, I mean, if any team understands like quarter cornerback attrition, well, quarterback attrition too, but cornerback attrition, it's the 49ers over the last several seasons. So you got to have people that you trust on speed dial. And again, it's been the same defense pretty much since 2017. So the guy knows what, what will be asked of him. Um, and even if it's just like, we need you to come in and, and 
and play special teams if something happens like that could be a possibility but anyway that's neither here nor there good good for you Dante Johnson and I'm sorry that Akshas thinks you're really old um <laughs> um injuries related uh stuff uh Diva Samuel full goal this full go this week has been practicing fully that is great news I think it's really safe to say the 49ers have been missing his offensive contributions over the last three games. Um, so it'll be good to see him back out there. Uh, Aaron Banks um, will be out a few weeks with the, with that turf toe injury. I guess it's now been technically two weeks right at this point, or it will be two weeks since he suffered the injury on Sunday. Um, it doesn't seem like they've decided to put him on IR, at least at this juncture. I, I, that's supposed, I suppose that could change retroactively. Um, I don't know, but we'll see. But if the, it, it will be interesting to see how that goes down and, and what they're going to do. I guess John Feliciano is set to line up at left guard in his stead. Um, we'll see how that goes. Um, Drake Jackson has been limited so far in practice, but the question that I asked in writing this down is, will that matter? Question mark? I don't know. Uh, Drake Greenlaw has been full go as well. And then, of course, the best news of all things as this as it relates to injury news is that after much waiting, Trent Williams finally back in practice on Thursday. It was in the limited capacity, but I think just the fact that he is back out there probably bodes pretty well for his um, his readiness to play. Obviously, we'll have to see how he responds to what practice he did work through on, on Thursday, and we'll see how that goes on Friday. Um, but he hadn't practiced for weeks um, after the injury against Cleveland, so the fact that he's out there at all probably means a little something. And then... Um, Slightly less good news, uh, Demetrius Flanagan Fowles and Javon Hargrave, who were not on the injury report on Wednesday, both added to it on Thursday, um, both limited on Thursday. So it's not like they were missing practice completely. Uh, in the linebackers case, it was a ankle injury. Um, that's it, that's not like the, the worst news on the planet. He's pretty far down on the depth chart as far as that is concerned. Hargrave would be a little bit concerning. It's a knee injury. He was still limited. I, it, I don't. I don't know that there's any reason for concern, but it is interesting to note that he is there and will be something to watch out for for the rest of the week. Uh, um, anything notable there to you other than obviously the obvious good things and bad things and all that? I mean, Trent Williams being back was the question mark, and that's huge. He, um, I don't have the stats in front of me right now, but the 49ers running offense has fallen off a cliff once he – got off the field, and particularly their rush success from the left side has been non-existent. He is, um, as much as a left tackle can be, he's kind of the engine that makes the 49ers offense goes because he is so, so good at just, like, clearing out five yards in front of him. So I'm super excited for that. It'll be huge to have him back. Debo, we've talked a lot about, um, I think, you know, before the season, and talking about kind of roster projections and thinking how this team would shake out. You and I both kind of talked about how wide receiver three as a position was one we were a little questionable on just because we didn't think Jawan Jennings had really like taken that next step. It didn't seem like the 49ers thought he took that next step. And I think these games without Debo have kind of shown that Jennings is a good player, no doubt. Ronnie Bell is going to be very good in this league if he gets more playing time. And Ray Ray McLeod, you know, is good for particular sets of plays, but there's a real separation right now between the 49ers top two weapons and the guys after them. And I think a lot of the offensive inefficiency has come from the fact that they were just running out of bodies to kind of throw out there and really like advantage of defenses and Debo, you know, he gives you such a unique element on the field, even when he's there. So he being full go, that is full host in, I think he'll allow this entire offense to play a whole lot better. Yeah. I mean, um, hopefully. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I yeah, mean, I ahead. forgot to talk about the bad stuff. Hargrave being hurt is not great, but, you know, I think hopefully after, you know, trading and drafting defensive linemen after defensive linemen, they should be able to handle Hargrave missing a game if it comes to that. Sure. Um, yeah. And I think uh, the last thing on that is just Trent Williams be coming back uh, just as Aaron Banks is going out is not like perfect timing, 
but it is like better than like the worst option there, which would be that Trent Williams continues to be out. And then you have Jalen Moore, who's actually, I, I think, played pretty well in Trent Williams' stead. Um, and then John Feliciano and that whole left-hand side of the of the line being not familiar with one another. I think that would have created a little bit of problem. I think Trent Williams will be able to slide in next to Feliciano and just kind of help cover up some of the issues there. Um, but more things to talk about there. Uh, from Jacksonville's point of view, nobody looks to be in danger of missing the game. Cornerback uh, Tyson Campbell, free safety Andre Sisco, uh, newly acquired guard Ezra Cleveland, uh, wide receiver Zay Jones, cornerback uh, Gregory Jr., and safety Daniel Thomas. Wow, four out of those six guys with hamstring injuries have all been limited so far this week. Um, Zay Jones has a knee injury. Ezra Cleveland has a toe. I'm not really sure what the nature of that is. Um, that's very interesting. They're like they just traded for that guy from from the Vikings, and he's already got an injury. Uh, so I got to worry a little bit. But um, nonetheless, um, there's I mean, obviously, Zay Jones is kind of a peripheral part of this offense. I think not like a major uh, point there. Um, uh, Ezra Cleveland. The only impact you could see there is the fact that if he hasn't been able to really get into practice as much, that that might impact even if he does play his like how much how comfortable is he stepping into the offensive line and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I don't know. Nothing really stands out to me as far as like, oh, that's that's a major loss for this offense or this defense uh, so far as I can tell. And they all seem to be tracking at least towards being questionable at the end of the week. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think Campbell and Cisco are big names that kind of pop out Campbell, especially, but, um, you know, nothing seems to be really concerning for the Jaguars side of things. And as much as like the 49ers would love to take a team that is kind of scuffling and they can, you know, get their rhythm against, I think there's something good to be said about having to play against what is a very, very good Jacksonville team with a better record than the 49ers right now. Yep. And taking them on at their best to kind of like show yourself that, you know, we're still at that level of football team. Yeah, for sure. So with that, let's um, let's go ahead and move into the uh, the reasons for optimism and the reasons for concern. Um, I think this might be the most uh, interesting uh, place here. Um, I talked about this, I think, last time where I uh, when we were talking about the Chase Young trade that I was like I, I did predictions for the rest of the season it was probably the hardest game to game predictions that I ever did I think I, I feel pretty good about where I landed in terms of like overall record but from a game to game perspective who knows like it just sort of depends on which version of this team shows up but Akshaz I'll kick it to you for your reason for optimism for Sunday so I think I can talk like almost like more poetically about this team getting off the bye and like, you know, having to prove something about themselves. And that might be a really, really, really good place to be. But I think the biggest reason for optimism will just come from the fact that the Jacksonville defense has been pretty good, but not spectacular, especially against the pass. They've allowed 263.5 yards. They've only sapped QBs 16 times. And I think, you know, they're a good team that plays a lot in tandem, but if you have to choose a weakness on the team, it's their defense. I do think the 49ers getting their full host of weapons back should be in a really good position to take advantage. Run defense-wise, they do quite a bit better, but in a very similar way to the way the 49ers have kind of had the luxury of not having to, you know, have to worry so much about the run defense when they were winning, it's because teams run the ball 10 times and then realize they're down 20 and have to basically go from there. So I think, you know, this defense is definitely the area the 49ers can take advantage of, respectively speaking. It's kind of the opposite of our conversation about the Cowboys game where we talked about, you know, the 49ers offense versus the Cowboys defense was like the premier matchup. And then the flip side was the secondary one that would impact the game. Here, I think the 49ers defense going against Jacksonville's offense, that's the big one. That's like where a lot of the game will be decided. But the 49ers offense has a clear talent advantage against the Jacksonville defense. And I think adding in Williams, adding in Samuel, 
should allow them to take advantage of some of the defensive inefficiencies Jacksonville has. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm right there, right there with you. Um, from a poetic point of view, we know that the last couple of seasons, particularly even looking at last year, this team was at, right at 500 at the at their bye week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, four and four. Um, and they won 10 games in a row after that. So <laughs> from a poetic point of view, you kind of feel pretty comfortable about this team's ability to kind of pull it together and figure it out and feel pretty confident in the coaching staff and the fact that they, as you know, they're they're pretty talented across the board. This is something we've been saying all year long, right? It's just and it, it and they didn't just suddenly become not talented anymore over those these last three games. They just got outplayed um, and, and not outplayed thoroughly by by all three of those teams for the entirety of the 60 minutes of the game. You know, I, I think if you look at it, there's a case to be made. They got outplayed by the Browns defense for the 49ers offense got bad out, got outplayed by the Browns defense and the 49ers defense just didn't do enough. Right. There's you can get into the into the quibbling and, you know, the 49ers offense probably did enough until the end against the Vikings. Similarly, against the Bengals, they were kind of in it. Um, and so the offense needs to needs to work on some things. But um, right there with you in terms of the Jaguars pass defense, um, they've given it's kind of a weird defense. If you look at it like from a like giving up points perspective, which is obviously the most important thing here. Um, they're only, uh, they're eighth in the NFL. They've only given up 156 points so far, uh, this season. That is a, just a hair under 20 points a game, 19 and a half points per game. But their yards, as you noted, are really high, uh, 2,742, which is 23rd heading into week 10, which is just quite a bit. Um, the bulk of that coming, um, on, uh, Against the pass, 2,180 yards, 30th in the NFL. Um, so their 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 rush defense is significantly more um, impactful. Some of that might be you know game situation, as you noted. Um, the other thing too is the and, and so the the reason for optimism from that perspective is you look at it and you go, okay, in years past you probably would have been concerned about the fact that their run defense is so strong. Okay, is the 49ers pass offense going to be able to do enough? to to like open the game up. And I think we've seen throughout this season, even in like a game against the Bengals or, or a game against the Vikings where the ending didn't work out, this passing offense has enough, you know, gas to 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 kind of keep the thing going and really open up the the opportunities to to put themselves in 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 advantageous running situations, which is what Kyle Shanahan is going to want to do. Um, the other thing, too, is the pass rush outside of Josh Allen, who's been quite good so far this year, has nine sacks on the season. But the rest of the team only has <coughs> seven sacks uh, so far this year. Um, so that would be something else to watch out for uh, as well, that if you can figure out a way to kind of stonewall Josh Allen, that their pass rush outside of him is probably not going to be terribly concerning. Um, and the other thing is, uh, you know, while I mentioned Trevor Lawrence has has been improving over the last couple of of weeks as their 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 um, their winning streak has gone on. If you look at the numbers overall, he's been he's been fine. But, it, 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 you know, the main thing that he's done is is take care of the ball. You know, he hasn't he hasn't really thrown. He's only thrown four interceptions on the season. His completion percentage is right over a hair over 68 percent. Um he hasn't thrown a bunch of touchdowns. He's only has nine touchdowns so far in the season. Um, but he's, you know, he's taking care of the ball and and he's getting it to where it needs to go. It's not been spectacular, but um, it is certainly something to watch out for. And if the pass rush can cause, if this this new and hopefully improved 49ers pass rush can cause some problems for them, then maybe they can shake him up a little bit and 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 cause some issues there. But uh, those would be kind of the main things that I would say as far as optimism is, the, as you said, the the matchup 
49ers offense against against the Jaguars defense. While there are some things to watch out for, and we'll get into that in just a minute, um, on the whole, you have to look at it and go, yeah, the 49ers, if they're as healthy as they can be, which is everybody minus Aaron Banks at this particular juncture, um, then you got to think they have the horses to to go out there against the Jags and put up some points. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Josh Allen is going to be the big threat here, but if you can get around him, and hopefully Trent Williams will be healthy, and you kind of have the guy with the ability, if Allen lines up against him, to completely shut it down, there's a chance to take advantage of it. And I saw a very interesting, kind of like, like I'm not a huge fan of aggregate stats. I think in general, I think they kind of, you know, they don't tell the full picture, but that said, Brock Purdy has technically outplayed Mr. Lawrence statistically <laughs> over the yeah. course of the year. So, like, you know, he he's not he's really good. Like, let's let's not beat around the bush. He's going to be a challenge, but this isn't like Joe Burrow where you're playing against an elite elite quarterback. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, all right, well, this is a six and two football team, and. Um, in spite of that, they are a um, underdog on the road or on at home. Uh, a little bit strange, um, but nonetheless, that is the situation. So um, there must be obviously something to be aware of. Um, with that in mind, uh, I should say the Jags are, are are an underdog at home, not the 49ers. Um, so what are we, what are we concerned about here, Akshas? I mean, I think it comes from basically the Jags' offense, most specifically. Their rushing offense is like simultaneously very like inefficient, but it's very good. And I think that's the biggest thing that Travis Etienne has been on a tear the last few weeks. And that's a huge issue for 49ers defense that struggled against the run. So like, for example, 3.8 yards per carry is not going to really like make anyone super excited, but he's like, it's been one of those things that's been improving as the game's going on. And then the other thing, it's just basically the Jags offense has a lot of good weapons. We can think about they have what is a, a triumvirate at receiver that's not as good as Cincinnati's. So, again, you know, 49ers should be able to handle it. But Calvin Ridley, Zay Jones, and Christian Kirk all combined, that's a lot of stress they can put on a defense. And Doug Peterson's a really, really smart coordinator, head coach. So it's not going to be easy. You these aren't weapons that are misused. These guys are good, and they're used in really good ways. So for the 49ers defense, you know, there are a lot of different stressors that they have to kind of deal with. It will be a good test of their rush defense. It will be a good test if they can get home on Lawrence, all those different things. And, that, you know, I think we both think they will be able to kind of handle that. But we can also see this game going very similarly to the Bengals game where this defense is just unable to handle handle the Jaguars and their weapons. Yeah. Um, certainly right there with you on that. I think actually of more concern than Zay Jones is actually Evan Ingram, um, mm-hmm. who's listed as a tight end, but we all know that, that he's, he's not a tight end. Um, <laughs> he's a tight end in, in name only. He actually has 51 catches for 430, 434 yards. Um, his, he actually has the most receptions on the team um, behind him. Christian Kirk with 43 and then Calvin Ridley with 33. Um, Ridley's main thing is that just his his catch rate is very low. He's been targeted 58 times, only has 33 catches, whereas Ingram is 61 targets for 51 uh, receptions, and Kirk is at 60 targets for 43 receptions. So Ridley, um, I don't know if it's a drop thing or, or what, but he certainly seems to be a problem there. Um, so something to watch out for his catch rate, according to uh, pro football reference is only 56.9%. So something to watch out for there. Um, and then of course the other thing too, is Etienne has been a, a very useful receiver out of the, out of the backyard uh, backfield. He's averaging almost 10 yards per reception. Um, and then the other thing from a 49ers defense defensive perspective, um, again, according to the pro football reference, take this for what you will. I know a lot of different sites will have different counting numbers, but Travis Etienne leads the Jaguars in broken in rush, broken tackles with 17 and the 49ers have just been like absolutely struggling to tackle the ball carrier the last three weeks. It's been like, I would argue a bigger deal than the pass rush, not getting home because if 
they were tackling, making better open field tackles, I think they would have been doing a, get, a better job of like getting off the field on third down or not creating short third downs and that sort of thing. Um, so something to watch out for too is that Etienne is a a, a kind of shifty little little runner and and someone that is difficult to bring down. Um, but from the other side of the ball, we talked about how um, the Jags defense um, gives up a lot of yards. But the one thing that they do particularly well and the thing that I think sort of explains the discrepancy between how many yards they've given up and how few points they've given up is that they are tied with the 49ers for most interceptions in the league so far with 11. And they lead the NFL in forced turnovers with 18. So that's 11 interceptions, seven uh, fumble recoveries so far this year. Now the fumble recoveries are a little bit of um, are a little bit of luck, right? Um, you can chalk that up to to those kind of situations. Um, the interceptions, well, uh, just kind of come down to, to to various situations. Um, they they had a lot of them. Um, you know, they they forced uh, three turnovers against uh, against the Colts, and then four turnovers again against the Colts. Um, both wins so far this year. So there's seven of them already. Um, against one team, but they did force three turnovers against Kansas city, you know, in a game they, they lost. Um, they did force, uh, three turnovers against the Falcons. So they've, they've been pretty good at, at forcing multiple turnovers in a game only, uh, twice so far this season in a loss to the Texans in week three and in a win over the saints, uh, in week seven, have they not turned the ball? Have they not forced more than one, more than one turnover in a game? Uh, so, and, and of course, <laughs> that is concerning because the big bugaboo, the thing that has really because, again, you can you can knock you can chalk the, the the Cleveland loss up to. Yeah, the Cleveland defense is really good and the 49ers offense didn't do that, didn't do what they needed to do. And then they missed a field goal at the end of the game. They still could have won it. But I think it's pretty safe to say if Brock Purdy holds on to the ball uh, late in those games, if Christian McCaffrey doesn't fumble the ball. Um, early in the Vikings game, they probably still have chances to win both the Vikings and the Bengals game um, pretty, you know, not not handily, but at least to to win those games. And then we're talking about a an undefeated team or a one loss team or something like that heading into this game. Um, and it's it's interesting because Brock Purdy was like, you know, he's he's safe. You know, he, he takes care of the football. He may not be flashy all the time, but he does a good job of taking care of the football. And it's just been a couple of bad throws here and there at the least opportune times. And he's going to have to watch out because this team seems to be pretty good at uh, forcing turnovers and will have to be something for him to be extra careful with uh, heading into Sunday. Yeah. I mean, that's the huge question, right? Like, as you mentioned, we kind of talked a little bit about the 49ers, like the Jaguars and how they might pose issues. But the huge thing is the 49ers can't turn the ball over. If they turn the ball over, this whole thing's going to fall apart. Like they got to be able to handle the run. They got to be able to, you know, get points when they get down the field. So it's a huge question, and I don't think there's a necessarily easy answer right now. But that's kind of that's why the game is so exciting because at at one point you kind of think, you know, like this team is good enough to figure it out, and Brock Purdy is good enough to figure it out. So it's you know it's the real first question of his career. Yeah. Like he's had some struggles. Will he be able to handle it? And I don't know the an- answer. Answer, <laughs> to be honest, but that's yeah. why. I mean, I don't. What... Think, I don't think anybody does. Mm-hmm. Um, if we knew the answer, then we would. We would. We would send it to him. We'd be like, Brock, here's the answer. Here's it for you. <laughs> and then we would be hired by John Lynch and um, and Kyle Shanahan to be part of their team, and we would never have to worry about this podcast again. No offense or anything. Just kidding. Um, but we don't have the answers. We're just we're just fans who like talking about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's certainly. Again, safe to I think it's really safe to say that the moment that particularly the Bengals game, the moment that the game fell apart was after that first interception, right? Because it was it was it was real, you know, it was back and forth, like both offenses were doing were being were neither defense was getting much done, right? Um, outside of that um the early turnover. And it just looked like, okay, they're just gonna these offenses are just gonna keep punching each other in the face until one of them gives out. And unfortunately the 49ers gave out first. Um, and that led to the, 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 the touchdown that could have put the nail in the, in the coffin, even though it didn't technically do that, but it did kind of thing. Um, 
with um, Jamar Chase, and that was sort of the end of the game, right? And that's the kind of thing they're going to have to watch out for again is um, I think there's a, a pretty good case to be made that both offenses are kind of capable of of outplaying the opposing defense uh, given the right situation, and it's just a matter of which defense is going to be able to step up just a little higher above um, the other or the opposing offense. And on paper, on the surface of it, you'd kind of expect that the the Niners would be able to do that given their personnel and, and that sort of thing. And you just kind of hope that that's how it plays out on Sunday. It's really how we're looking at it at this point. I mean, yeah. So th- this is kind of like what you mentioned, right, about who knows what version of this team will show up. This team from the first five weeks, all these things are just like, yeah, they're they're real and they're issues, but these guys can handle it. But now, right, we have a question of can they handle it? And I mean, I don't know if I don't we definitely don't know the answer. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> against the against the Vikings, there's those two turnovers following the concussion. And I yep. like I don't know how much you want. You can place on the concussion being the reason why everything fell apart or his play in general, but against the Bengals, although I do think he probably shouldn't have played against the Bengals. It seemed like he was clearly still smarting from the concussion. That's neither here nor there. Um, It was again, turnovers near the end, just let the game get out of hand. And, you know, it's, it's the, it's more than anything else for this team. That's the question. It's not not for this game for this season. It's what version of Brock Purdy will we get? Because that determines whether or not they are have a chance to win the Super Bowl or not. Yeah, yeah, and I think the same question could be said about the defense, right? Like, is this going to be the defense that showed up that you know maybe wasn't perfect the first five weeks, but looked like they could hang with just about any offense in the in the NFL and on their day. They could really put a pounding on somebody like they did against Dallas or like they did against Pittsburgh, you know, because they it wasn't the greatest performance against the Rams, especially a Rams team that was without its best offensive player and that sort of thing. And they got like cooked by Puka Nakua and that sort of thing. Um, but like they they were they, they did enough and the offense obviously did more than enough to to pull it out. And that's kind of the major difference here. But we still need to see like the defense kind of turn the screw here and figure it out. And like you said, I think if, if the right, if, if Brock Purdy figures it out and we just go, okay, well that was just a three week anomaly and he's okay. Um, then, then maybe that, I, I think that version of the offense might be enough to overcome if this defense is not quite like top five in the NFL level. Right. Right. Um, but if he if that if this proves to be like maybe that's a little bit more who he is, um, then that then then the defense is going to have to 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 be more than they have been. They're going to have to be closer to that Dallas that game that team against that played against Dallas or against Pittsburgh than they have been the last couple of weeks. The perfect example is in 2019 or even 2020, whichever one was the one against the Rams, 2020, 2021, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. yeah. 21, it, it all kind of moves, melds together. Yeah. Um, it was 21 because uh, 2020 was the, was the COVID year when everything, the, when they were really bad when Bosa got hurt and Garoppolo got hurt and everybody got hurt. Yeah. Yeah. In those years, that defense had to be like perfect for this team to have a chance. And we saw what happened when they weren't. And I mean, at the end of the day, right, not to belabor like a very old point, but the second the defense wasn't perfect in the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes, they lost. So the question is, if Brock Purdy plays as he does now, that's the level you're playing with, which speaks to a like how like good Brock Purdy has been. But if he can get back to how he's been playing before, you give yourself so much more leeway. So, I mean, it's a huge question because I do think in a weird way, I'm more confident that this um, that Brock Purdy figures it out than this defense. This defense feels like it's like searching for something, and it's just not there yet. But I think Purdy kind of had a bit of a rough part without his left tackle and without his one of his favorite targets, and things will slowly start to fix themselves now. Yeah, that's pretty fair. Um, all right. Well, um. 
I said that I uh, I predicted the the rest of the season. Um, and I'm going to uh, not hold myself to that on a week to week basis here on the podcast because that, of course, was all based on how I felt about how they were going to do in one sort of bubble. Um, and we'll see. Like, <laughs> so I reserve the right to to change my thoughts about that from week to week <laughs> as we move through. That said, please go check out that um, that article from last week uh, during the bye week uh, on uh, my prediction, and you can see how how you know all my crazy thoughts about why things are going to go the way that they are and all those sorts of things. Um, I had a little fun with it though this time, and I and I picked and I didn't pick scores, but I picked like whether or not it was going to be like a close game or like a, 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 a blowout or something like that. I just kind of use, you know, fun language to kind of describe it. So um, I, I am, however, going to stick with what I went with for my prediction for this week um, in terms of both. Um, it's the closeness of the game and also the, the win loss situation. But Akshay, I'm going I'm to let you go first because that's the kind of nice guy that I am. Well, I, now I, I feel pressure to get to this <laughs> incredible. Um, I, so I've been very pessimistic about this team in recent weeks, but I do think this is the game that kind of gets them back into the groove. And, you know, Jacksonville's a very good team. Don't get me wrong. They're not like a bad team at all. But playing the AFC South it does have its advantages. And I do think compared to like a Cincinnati who we know the level they can be at Jacksonville is one of those teams that's in the decided like second tier of the NFL, like hierarchy and the 49ers right now should be in that first tier, but have scuffled their way to it. And I think this is the game where they kind of flex their muscles in the same way. The Baltimore Ravens kind of like showed, Hey, we're just like better than like other teams. So I'm going to go where 38 to 13. I think Ooh. this is going to be, this is, I mean, I'm putting myself on a limit. I like here, it. But I think this is the game where we start to see, okay, these guys are, you know, they're back like three weeks. Right. It was rough, but they get, they get the mojo going. I, 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 I very much appreciate that, that pick. And I, I really hope you're right. Um, not because I disagree with you on the outcome, because I think that's the outcome. The outcome of the game is the 49ers are going to win. I feel like it's time for them to right the ship. But I feel like this is going to be a little bit more difficult um, game simply because of the whole thing with the Jaguars also having a bye week and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think the 49ers are going to be able to get going a little bit better, but I think it's going to be a little closer. Um, I'll go 31-23. That's what I'm going to go with. Is 31-23. So I'm not. I'm, I'm gonna give the Jags a little more points, and maybe they'll be like garbage time points. I don't know, but I, I I think the Niners will win. I think they'll win a little more. It'll be a little closer than we feel comfortable with. Um, but I certainly prefer your method um, of of the game, mostly because once again, I don't know how this keeps happening, but once again, because the Panthers are playing currently on on Thursday Night Football. Guess what? I get to watch from the from the comfort of my own home yet again man i'm on a roll um i think that's like this is like six games in a row or five games in a row or something like that it's been nuts i love it i absolutely in favor of this this is what it must be like to live on the west coast like where the games will be shown all the time uh, it's great it's great do you, do you get to watch the game or do you have to go somewhere Akshas? is it showing in uh, part of town i haven't checked yet i'm gonna say no, because, well, so the thing is, right, I don't actually know. The NFL is so dumb sometimes with how it sets up, like, regional interest. So I have no idea if they've decided that Jacksonville is, like, a regionally interesting team or the 49ers are for Chicago. So if they aren't, right, if they decide, oh, yeah, no one here, like, yeah, cares about San Francisco. You got, then, New Orleans, you got New Orleans, Minnesota, buddy. Sorry. Oh, perfect. That means I get them on Sunday tickets, so. Good deal. I'm I'm the opposite way. I want them to not be playing. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think I said I I kind of stopped. I I at, with the switch over to YouTube, it just got way too expensive because they require you to have YouTube TV in order to get like the the reasonable price on it. Other than that, it's like close to five hundred dollars or something like that, which I'm fine. You know, going to my local establishment, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm also good watching it from home. So good for me. <laughs> um, all right. Well, 
hopefully this is the 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 we're both right um but i'm hoping you're more right than me in this particular case i'm absolutely okay with being a little bit wrong here um but i, I think we both agree this is like a really major turning point from the 49ers perspective um like they got they, they really need this one if there's a, if there's such a thing as a must win game in week 10 with you know eight games left to go after this one i think I think it's pretty safe to say this is it, right? Like falling to five and four, it wouldn't be the end of the world, especially depending on what happens with with Philadelphia and 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 and, and Seattle and Detroit. Um, it wouldn't necessarily be the end of the world, but it certainly puts you in a bad place considering um, where you finished last season and where the expectations were. Like already losing four games, <laughs> you know, nine games in your season or ten games in your season would not be not be good um so let's hope we're both right so Akshaz, i'll kick it to you any uh final thoughts to close this one out before we uh wrap it up i mean just like what you said you know this is a this is as close to a must win as you can get not only for like this team to get a much needed win but to kind of like reassert itself you know losing is hard and the 49ers haven't done a lot of it recently and i think you kind of can get into your own head about it. It kind of becomes a bigger thing than it should be. So it's an important game. It's a fun game to go up against a team. They're probably not going to see for another two, three years, very ascendant team. So it'll be an exciting one and hopefully they come out on top. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. All right. Well, uh, thanks as always for listening to this episode of the Niner noise podcast, part of the fan sided podcast network. Uh, Please continue to check out NinerNoise.com for all your latest 49ers news and analysis. And be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And, of course, share it with all your fellow 49er fan friends. So until next time, let's sound the horn, 49ers. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.